Well, thank you. This is nice and cozy. Uh, actually, the coziest place is in Tanzania because I don't have to use a microphone. I don't have to wear a coat. <laughs> it's a blessing. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And then I get to walk around, and I really like that. And we have interactive Sunday morning church services. All we have is Sunday morning. Well, sometimes Sunday afternoon. There's no electricity, so no Sunday night for sure. And so uh, I, I just love it. I love to just walk around, and uh, people get to ask questions right in the middle of the message. If they're not getting it, we, I allow them to ask questions and so forth. So it's just a lot different. But this is really cozy. If you're in a big auditorium, I don't know, just not the same as everybody being really close. Uh, we, have a, we have tremendous teammates in Tanzania, Dave and Becky Helsby. Uh, we've been working with them for the last three or four years, I think. We've known them for over 10 years. They started an orphanage uh, in a village about an hour and 15 minutes from where we, from where we live now. And then there wasn't a good Bible-believing church out there, so actually they helped us to plant a church out there. And now they're working with us full-time. We're teammates. And Dave Halsby, it's the first time in my life I've ever had, I've always heard about having an accountability partner, and I always thought it was a good idea. Uh, but I just never, there wasn't really, it never really just fit in anywhere. I just didn't have anybody that was available. And so since we're teammates, uh, Dave is my accountability partner, and he is, he is a great accountability partner. He hammers me. He doesn't let me get away with anything. He doesn't let me get by with the church answer. How are you, Brother Bill? Good. Now he doesn't let me get away with that. Anyway, he's just a real blessing. Yeah, they're counselors. Him and his wife are both counselors. And he's a builder, so we have different gifts. We work together really well. And he introduced us to this study of idols of the heart. Uh, when we think of idolatry, of course, we think of Nepal. Uh, we think of uh, Japan. Uh, we think of physical statues and so forth. We have idolatry in Tanzania. People worship their ancestors. They build them little houses uh, when we go out to the village, uh, any unsaved family will have numerous little huts that they've made out of sticks. And when they cook food, they put some food down there for their ancestors. So that's what we think about. And so we think, well, we don't really have any idolatry as Christians. Um, but, you know, if you think about the book of 1 John, what, a, what an interesting way to end the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John is about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, John starts out by saying, we have held him. We've talked with him. The, the, the word of life. I mean, we were with him. And then he goes into how we can walk in the light as God's in the light. and How we can have fellowship with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. And the whole book's about this intimate relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And then the book ends with a verse that seems totally unrelated. The last verse, do you know what the last verse is in 1 John? 1 John? It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. It's like, what does that have to do 
with the entire book being about having this intimate, personal relationship with God. But it has everything to do with it because we all are idolaters. I didn't think I was until I started really studying it. And it's not a matter of do we have idols in, in our heart? It's a matter of which ones do we have because we have them. I forget which old Puritan preacher said that our hearts are idol factories. They produce them. My heart produces idols. And if I, by God's grace, attack one, uh, it, my heart will continue to produce them. And so uh, I hope uh, that this will be an encouragement and a blessing to you. If you've read the book Changed Into His Image, how many of you have read Changed Into His Image by Jim Berg? Great book. Uh, when I was the pastor at Central Baptist, um, I had just read that book. And that book, I, 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 I was just, the Lord really used it to speak to my heart. And so any problem that anybody would ever have, some of you may have gotten a book from me. If you had a marriage problem, here, read this. Uh, if your car won't start, here, read this. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it didn't matter what your problem was. Here's changed into his image. Uh, it, was, it was that powerful. And I still love the book and have read it uh, numerous times and have shared it with other people and so forth. If you remember one of the illustrations, it's the illustration of the tea bag. And if I have a tea bag in my hand um, and I put it in hot water, the hot water does not give the flavor to the tea bag. The tea bag already has the flavor inside of it it's just by putting it inside of the hot water, it releases what was already in there. The hot water doesn't make the tea taste a certain way. The hot water only brought out what was already in there. So I'm now going to confess a few of my sins. And then I'm going to confess Tammy's sins. No, I'm smarter than that. <laughs> I am smarter than that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna confess my own sins. A um, little bit embarrassing, uh, but here it goes. And it goes along with this teabag illustration. When we're here in America, the water typically is not as hot. Um, when we're in Tanzania, uh, the water gets really hot there. And I mean the, the, the the water is hot, meaning the environment. And I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about the aggravations, the culture, the differences, the, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I can see Amanda nodding her head, so she knows what I'm talking about. The power goes off a lot, and it doesn't, the first year we were in Tanzania, the power was off 12 hours a day, every day, seven days a week for a year. Uh, but it was on a schedule. Uh, the power went off at 7 o'clock in the morning and did not come on until 7 o'clock at night. And it was almost down to the minute. It was very predictable. So we just made adjustments. I mean, Tammy did laundry at night when the power came on. And we tried to do homeschooling because we were using some DVDs and so forth. Um, so we didn't work around it. But what really gets you is when it's totally unannounced. 
And it always seems to happen at the most inopportune time when you're working on something in the computer or you're right in the middle of something. Or, and so I have this sound that I make in Tanzania, and I don't know if, I don't think I make it here, but I, I make it in Tanzania, and Tammy knows what I'm talking about. It's, ah! Uh, I mean, it's not even a word. How do you spell that? But it's like, ah! Uh, and, the, and the power company is called Tanesco. Where's, where's Ray Weekly? He knows about Tanesco. And it's like, Tanesco! And it's like, they, and then you never, when it's not on a schedule, you just don't know. You don't, you don't even want to get into anything. Because you're like, are they going to turn it off in 20 minutes again? Or what are they going to do? And there's no schedule, no announcement. And um, man, I can really get aggravated about that. The same with the water. And um, if I had to choose between water and electricity, I'd choose to do without the electricity. Water is, you just don't realize it until you have no water. I'm talking none for days. <laughs> you wash your hands. You cook with water. You flush the toilet with water. You, you, know, you bathe with water. Uh, and, when, and so they do the same thing with the water. And I have that same sound, by the way. It might be even louder when it's for the water. Then uh, there's people that knock at our gate. And what do they say, Brother Ray? Hody. That's right. Now, there are some days that if I'm walking in the spirit, <laughs> I don't mind a hody. Uh, but just about every day, people will come to your gate, and most likely, uh, it will be because they want something, they want food, they want money. They, um, some of the people are really legitimate. I remember one time a lady came to the gate and talked to Tammy, and um, we, we try to really pray about it, keep our hearts sensitive to the needs of people. Uh, but some, a lot of, there's a lot of con men and women out there that are just, they're, they're fully able to work, but they just want to, they want to hand out. Uh, but this lady actually got it done in her hands and knees and started crying and begged my wife for a job. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, for sure. Um, but there's days where I hear that hody and I just cringe. Uh, it's like, ah, oh, it's almost that same sound again. It's like, now what? And it's, it's, Pathetic. I know. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me to even say it, but it's what happens. It, it, it does happen. <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, then the driving there is indescribable. And now that there's like 5 million motorcycles for 3 million people, um, it seems like there's 5 million, they, they, they don't follow any rules. I mean, none. They drive on the wrong side of the road whenever it's convenient. They cut in and out. They don't stop at stop signs. I mean, it's just whatever they want to do, they just do it. And so I can, in the morning, I can get up. I can have my devotions. Ah, oh, it's going to be a good, glorious day. And Tammy knows this to be true. Somebody out there <laughs> does something really dumb. And I didn't think I had road rage until I went to Tanzania. <laughs> Whew, man, it's brutal. And I pray about it. <laughs> and, um, and, and I have to repent. You know, every time I go out driving, there's got to be a time of repentance afterwards. 
And so um, that happens pretty consistently. Um, then we know when people are ready for a furlough. It's like missionaries have a big F on their forehead, furlough. <laughs> because everything bothers them. And you start calling the national people, we start calling the Tanzanians these people. <laughs> then you know, well, probably need a break. Uh, we need to go somewhere. Uh, then they built a hotel right in back of our house. Uh, that this is, it cannot be zoned for a hotel. It's not possible. It's a residential area. And I mean, it is right in our backyard. And I mean, they blare the music all weekend. It, ra it literally rattles the, the tin roof on our house. <laughs> and that bass, it doesn't matter what you do. We have fans on. Tammy's got stuff playing on her iPhone. I've got earplugs. So um, I've made some trips over to that hotel. And I, I got in the flesh. Yeah, let's just say I did for sure. So, you know, and we can go on and on. Uh, but these are the sins that we see on the surface. But what's going on below the surface? There's something going on below the surface. There is a sin beneath the sin. Now, my wife sees me get aggravated when I'm driving. Uh, she knows that noise I make when the power goes out. Um, but there's something going on. There's something that's happening below the surface in my heart. And if I dig beneath the surface of my sin, I will find idols in my heart that are producing these sins that I see on the surface. So there are fruit sins. Those are the sins that we see. And we make the mistake, and we'll get into it eventually, you shouldn't, I shouldn't be attacking my sin at the fruit level. I should go below the surface. There's something happening in my heart that's producing those sins. And I need to attack my sin at the root level. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2. And this is where we'll get our basic starting point for this study. Jeremiah chapter 2. And verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, be very desolate, saith the Lord. Wow, this must be something big here. God's announcing to the heavens, be astonished. Not sure if he's announcing it to the angels, to the seraphim, I'm not sure. It's, in, it's the beings in the heavens. Be astonished, be horribly afraid. What have the people done? Verse 13. 
For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, we still use cisterns. Do some of you folks use cisterns on the farm? We used to catch rainwater in Kenya, and it was a 5,000-liter cistern. And um, so the use of a cistern is to store water for future use. Uh, so we rarely got water from the government when we were in Kenya, so we had to catch our rainwater and so forth. And so the key element of a cistern is it needs to be waterproof. It's really helpful. Uh, you don't want a cistern that leaks. And so actually when we were in Kenya, we had 13,000 liters of water in tanks. We had a 7,000 liter underground, a 5,000 liter on a platform, and a 1,000 liter in the attic of the house. And that's how we, uh, we did our water. Uh, but that's the purpose of a cistern. And so what God is saying here is what the people have done is they have forsaken God as the fountain of living water. And they have gone out and gathered cisterns, but they're broken cisterns. They don't hold the water. They leak. They're cracked. And we see from this passage the bent of my human heart and your heart. We forsake God as the source of living water. God should be our source of peace, joy, satisfaction. You know, I think about Moses. Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you know he didn't eat? Do you know he didn't drink water? Well, how in the world did he live? I'm assuming he didn't, he didn't sleep. Well, when you're in the presence of God, what do you need? So we forsake God as our everything, as the source of our existence, the source of our satisfaction in life, our joy, our peace. And we gather these broken cisterns that can't hold water. We seek satisfaction, joy, and peace somewhere other than God. But here's the problem. Everything other than God is broken to some degree and cannot deliver the satisfaction and joy that we're looking for. And I'm telling you, we as humans... In this life, I'm not sure if we're ever going to totally learn that lesson. <laughs> I actually, I mean, we, there's some of us that have been saved a long time. And still my heart will look at places other than God to get help, to find peace, joy, happiness, satisfaction. Now, it's real easy to look at the cisterns of lost people. And it'd be, it'd be a really fun lesson if that's all we did tonight. But we're going to look at some of our cisterns. But let's, what, are, what do you think? What are some of the obvious broken cisterns that unbelievers look towards? 
in order to give them peace and joy and significance, satisfaction, wealth, yeah, money. <laughs> you know, I think Hollywood probably has to have one of the highest percentages of suicide of any profession. I mean, these people have it all. I mean, if, if money was the source of peace and joy and satisfaction, uh, then why are they so empty? So, obviously, yeah, money, earthly possessions, uh, relationships. There are men that will think they can find that in a woman. There are women that think they can find that in a man. Uh, of course, drugs, alcohol. I mean, why do people go get drunk? I didn't become a believer until I was 20, so um, I know why. Because you just think you're going you to have, have a good time. Uh, you just, you're just looking for a friendship, and, and you just something that you turn to, looking for happiness or satisfaction. Uh, then there's, of course, success, recognition, uh, fame. I remember reading this gospel track by a baseball player named Tommy Herr. Do you remember him, Brother Wayne? I know Brother Wayne's a big baseball fan. Yeah, he was a second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. And it was a great gospel track because he, he followed his heart all the way to Jesus. He was not a believer when he start, first started playing baseball. And he got drafted out of high school. And he thought, this is going to bring me the joy, the satisfaction that I'm looking for. Man, to, to be drafted by a professional baseball team. So he's in the minor leagues. Uh, he, he, he excels. And the St. Louis Cardinals call him up. And he thought he had reached the top. I mean, that's all he ever dreamed about. If I ever become a major league baseball player, I won't need anything else. But when he got to that place, hmm, still nothing inside there. Then he thought, well, I need to be the best second baseman in baseball. And he was for many years. He's a gold glove second baseman. He was an all-star several times. And it still didn't do it. Now he's making big money, signing these big contracts. He's an all-star, but he hasn't won a World Series yet. And he keeps thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe if I win the World Series. And he won the World Series with the Cardinals at least once. And that's when he was devastated. And I think that's where a lot of Hollywood stars get to. It's because they keep thinking that when they get to this place, they'll find it. And when they finally get to that place and they don't find it, it destroys them on the inside. And it destroyed Thomas Herr because he had done everything. He was a major league baseball player. He was making so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. He was an all-star. And now he's a World Series champion and he's still empty. <laughs> and praise the Lord, one of his teammates led him to Jesus. And he said when he came to Jesus, he said that was it. That's what he'd been looking for all along. And so it's pretty obvious, this broken cisterns that unsaved people will gather, hoping that this holds water, but it doesn't. And the devil's real good at making stuff look attractive. Yeah, he's been in the business a long time. 
And I've been, I've been deceived by him many times. But now, what are some of the less obvious broken cisterns that even believers look to in order to get peace and joy and satisfaction? How about marriage? Uh, I can think back 32 years ago, September 5th, 1987, Long Beach, California. <laughs> Tammy's walking down the aisle. And I thought, this is it. Ah, <sighs> we'll just float on into eternity happily ever after. Yeah? Well, really didn't happen, happen that way. <laughs> I'm not even sure if we made it through the honeymoon without getting into some kind of an argument. <laughs> Uh, but I'm just saying, I, I really think there are people that look to something like marriage thinking that if they find the right one, that, that this person is going to meet the needs of their heart. That's what Tammy was thinking. She's thinking, oh, good. I have my best friend now all the time. We can just chat till 1 o'clock in the morning every night. Well, I'm not really chatty. <laughs> so she didn't get her, you know, and I'm looking at her to be there for me when I get home from work and uh, all this kind of, all these expectations that we have. It's a broken cistern. Is marriage good? Yes. <laughs> is it worth sticking with? Yes. It gets better as the years go by. But is it my God? <laughs> is, it, is it a substitute for Jesus? Uh, is my wife going to meet all the needs of my heart? No. We see a woman in John chapter 4. She thought she was going to find it in some man. She went through five men. <laughs> she thought, well, I must have got the wrong one the first time, and the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time. No, you're just looking in the wrong place <laughs> until she met Jesus. And then that filled her heart. So that's a broken sister. Uh, friends can become a broken cistern if you look to your friends to supply what only Jesus can supply. Uh, your children. Children are a blessing, but... but and, I, and I understand what people say um, because sometimes I'll see little comments maybe on Facebook or something and, and uh, maybe even my own sister has said this. It, it just is a familiar phrase that's used by, by some people. And it's my children are my life. I understand loving your children. Totally. I, I don't love anyone more than my wife and children on the earth. Um, but they're not my life. That's carrying it too far. That becomes a cistern. It's like your children will be where you get your identification, where you get your fulfillment. Um, and you're putting your faith in something that's not going to deliver. It's not. Your marriage could disappoint you. Your children could certainly disappoint you. Friends can disappoint you. And, and I know Pastor Brad's going to be able to relate with this and other people in the ministry. The ministry could be a broken cistern. <laughs> We're humans. So, um, you know, you can get a lot of praise being in the ministry. You can... You can, get, you can get your identity from being a preacher or um, being significant 
or, you know, all this kind of stuff. The ministry could definitely be a broken cistern that we look to. And, and I remember when I first went in that full-time ministry, I, it, it hurt my marriage because I couldn't say no. I mean, the first church we worked in was in Cleveland, Ohio. And, um, and I, I worked like seven days a week just about. Um, but I just thought that was my duty. You know, whenever the pastor called me, I should just jump. And, and, uh, and I liked hearing, you know, you hear comments about Brother Bill. And, you know, and he's a great guy. And he's always here. He does this. And, uh, and the ministry can be a trap. And we can, uh, we can look to it. And even so, so what I'm saying is, these are good things. Marriage is good. Children are good. Friends are good. The ministry is good. Uh, but they can be an idol after time. So we can easily recognize the broken cisterns of unbelievers. However, we as believers are often blind to our own broken cisterns. Because these cisterns are good things. Now, notice here. I think this is the key. We take a good thing and make it a God thing. <laughs> and that's what Christians do. I don't think there's any bank robbers here. Uh, I, don't, I, I hope there's not any drug dealers. Um, so, the essence of Christian sin is taking good things and making it a God thing. Our teammate, former teammate, Lisa Newland, who the Central Baptist Church supported, uh, she went to Pensacola Christian College, and she was hoping that she would find a guy there, and the Lord didn't bring her a husband. So she taught at a Christian school for several years in Ohio. And by the way, she's real open about this, so I don't think she minds us sharing it at all. I really appreciate her testimony. She had a really godly attitude towards this issue. Um, so she went to a Christian school, was a school teacher for several years. Again, was very open to getting married. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have children, have a family. It didn't happen. Then the Lord started speaking to her heart about being a missionary, and she thought, Lord, I need a partner. <laughs> but uh, to her credit, she told the Lord, Lord, I'm going to obey you whether I have a husband or not. And she went to Tanzania and worked with us for nine years and did just a tremendous job. You see, is, is it a bad thing to want a husband? Of course not. It's a good thing. And in most instances, it will be provided by God. But I really appreciate Lisa because it didn't go from a good thing to a God thing. It didn't go from, Lord, I would really like to have a husband. It didn't go from that to, I have to have one. <laughs> I'm getting one. And that's when it now becomes a God thing, that I have to have it. Then it becomes an, an idol So what does idolatry look like? And how are we going to fight against it? Well, there's a two-pronged approach. Number one, identify our idols. 
And there's a scary prayer that I prayed several years ago when Dave and Becky Helsby, our teammates, challenged us on this study. And I asked God to show me my idols. And guess what? He did. He showed me a lot of them. I was like, oh, brother. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought getting rid of my foul mouth and drinking was the biggest sins I was going to have to get rid of. No, that's not the truth. No, my heart's an idol factory. Identify our idols. Secondly, strengthen our love for Jesus so that these idols are exposed for what they really are. And what are idols? They're cheap imitations. That's what they are. In Tanzania, 90% of the products are from China. Do you know how good Chinese products look? They look awesome. <laughs> but they're junk. <laughs> Those motorcycles that you can buy for like $900, brand new, you're like, oh man, that thing is sharp, flashy. Yeah, and, and about a month later, <laughs> You're already doing major repairs on that piece of junk. It's a cheap imitation. And that's what idols are. They're cheap imitation. Money is a cheap imitation for God. A career is a cheap imitation for God. They're cheap imitations. They promise that they, 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 they promise that they're going to be a good cistern. They're going to hold water. They're going to be there for you. When you're thirsty, you're going to be able to go to that cistern and drink really deeply and get satisfied in your heart. That's what idols do. They make all these promises. Look at the beer commercials. <laughs> They're promising you a good time, friends, fun. Mm. Now, here's a good statement, and it's, it's because I didn't write this. Uh, <laughs> I can say that. This is based on a book that, that and several books, actually. It's, uh, I've compiled information from several books on I idols of the heart. When we cease to worship God, we don't cease to worship. Let that sink in for a minute. Do you know the Creator made us to be worshipers? And do you know there's no such thing in this world as a non-worshipper? There's no such thing. You'll never find one. There are seven and a half billion people on the face of the earth. Now, maybe some newborn infants could be excluded. Um, but every person is a worshiper. So just because you cease to worship God doesn't mean you cease to worship. No, that's how you're created. It's like breathing air. Do you know everybody worships on Sunday? Everybody. There's no exceptions. Some people worship at Central Baptist Church and some people worship at Cherokee Lake. Everybody's worshiping. Yeah, they're looking to something to provide them with, with, with what only God can provide. Rest, peace, joy, satisfaction going out to the mountains, going to the lake. Everybody worships.
Now, many believers have lost their focus on, on Christ. When we cease to worship God, we don't cease to worship. When we cease to worship God, we will begin to worship anything. And we will. We will worship something. Paul talks about the simplicity that's in Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In other words, we may be looking for something deeper than Jesus and the cross. But that's where we're going to find our satisfaction, our joy, our peace. It's in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing deeper than Jesus and the cross. I love prophecy a lot. <laughs> but I can spend a lot of time reading stuff about prophecy uh, that can actually draw me away from my devotion and worship of Jesus. So even really good things can become substitutes. And there's nothing deeper than Jesus and the cross. However, our constant tendency is to drift away from Jesus. Idolatry is alive and well even though it may not be talked about much. Now, how can we trace our idols? There are some red flags. Extreme emotions can almost always be traced to idolatry. Anger. Why are you so angry? I need to analyze that. That's what I'm talking about. We see the anger. But what is the sin beneath the sin? Why are you angry that you didn't get something you thought you deserved? Because that's what anger is. Or fear. Fear. Trace your fear. What, do you, what are you really fearful about? Maybe I ought to ask myself, why do I have such fear about this situation? What am I afraid to lose? If I'm constantly looking at the numbers on the stock market and thinking, oh man, there's my retirement in there. <laughs> and what happens if it goes under? Am I devastated? Do I worry about this a lot? Well, then I must be looking to that to provide for my future rather than God. I, if I get really worried about something or really angry if I don't get something, I must be attaching a lot of value to that thing. And it's almost guaranteed it's some kind of an idol that's there. Why does this make me so angry? Anger is normally associated with a perceived right or an entitlement. I am entitled to some peace and quiet at the end of the day. <laughs> I noticed Jesus didn't have those entitlements. Uh, the disciples seemed like they were constantly waking him up when he was trying to just get some sleep. 
So that's what I need to, I need to analyze my own heart. Why do I get aggravated when people knock at the gate? Uh, why do I get aggravated when someone messes up my routine? There is a sin beneath the sin. Now, idolatry, and we've got a few minutes and we'll close up here. Idolatry is very elusive. And why do you think that is? Let's look in Jeremiah 17. A very familiar couple of verses here. uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Wow. Let that verse just grip you. The worst thing you could do is follow your heart. That'd be the worst thing I could do. Because my heart is deceitful. And it says above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than my heart. Nothing. That's what the Bible says. And not just wicked, desperately wicked, God adds to it. Who can know it? That's why idolatry is very elusive, because my heart's deceptive. So how do we discover the idols of our hearts? Let's look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is the prayer that I've tried to incorporate into my life on a pretty daily basis. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is a dangerous prayer. You you better be sure you want to hear what God has to say. Because he's going to say some things. Try me. Test me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Just spend some time alone with God. Just ask him. Is there anything in my heart that I'm looking towards to give me significance and peace, and joy, and happiness. Is there? Is Jesus the source of everything you need in life? We will close with Romans chapter 1. Have I already closed? Is this a... How many times is it that I've closed it? <laughs> no, this will, be, this will actually be the closing. I know preachers are really good at that. I'm going to close for the fifth time. <laughs> well, that's right, he did. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you Carolyn. <laughs> if Paul did it, then I could do it. Um, Romans chapter 1, verses, verses, uh, verse 21. Again, here, we're going to see idolatry here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful 
but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed. And actually the word means exchanged. The glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. What is the lie? The lie is that there is something other than God that can meet the needs of your heart. That's what the lie is. And you've exchanged your source of living water, says in Jeremiah chapter 2. You've exchanged the glory of God for a broken cistern. You've traded God in for something else, thinking something else will surely bring me that peace and joy and happiness that I'm looking for who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So, we'll get next Wednesday we're going to get into where to fight sin. And we need to fight it at the right level. So I shouldn't be attacking my fruit sins. I should be go going below the surface and attacking those roots, it's where the fruit comes from. So let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we just open up our hearts to you. And we are humbled before you. There's nowhere to hide. You're the only one that knows us better than we know ourselves. And so there are things in my heart that compete for your worship and they promise so many things and my foolish heart many times follows these things and so uh, we do pray that prayer out of Psalms search us O God and test us try us see if there be any wicked way in us uh, so that our hearts uh, can be free uh, to give you the worship and the devotion that you alone deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dismiss. Let me uh, encourage you uh, to do something. If I can, uh, I'm going to give you homework. We prayed the prayer. The bill just prayed. We've seen scripture. Let me encourage you to do something about it. Pray, Lord, show me the idols of my heart. When he does, write it down. So then we come back next week and we can learn how to attack it. I think someone once said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. So if we truly, if I truly want to get rid of idols in my heart, to get rid of things that are taking the place of God in my life, then we need to do something about it. There's nothing magical about coming to church and it just happening. It's now let's apply it. Let's do something about it. Let's work toward it. Let's put action to it. 
And so I encourage each one of us to do that this week, all right?